How do you do it? Guess things. I don't guess. I observe. And once I've observed, I deduce. Wait, wait, wait. You assault our perp with an orange, and then somehow as he convinced he's innocent? Guys like him, they walk between the raindrops. Hello, my dears. And welcome to Elementary, My Dears, a podcast about the CBS show Elementary. I'm Allison Malden, and my co-host is George Hendricks. Hi. And we're here with my friend Janet Quinones. Hello. She's our very first guest on our very first episode of Elementary, My Dears. Um, Janet and I have been friends for a while now, and uh, she's a screenwriter and a stand-up comic and uh, really... like. like a really cool cat mom to the best cat ever. Um, oh. I want your cat to be my BFF. <laughs> <laughs> he is that. He is that cool cat, isn't he? He, he really is. He's basically a dog. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is a high compliment coming from a dog person. Yes. Well, you have a dog and a cat, so you're both. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But apparently, uh, your cat isn't nearly as cool as her cat. No, well, only because she doesn't like me. Oh, um, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a little biased, but anyway, so, uh, you know, our format today, we're going to talk through the recap of the pilot episode, season one, episode one of elementary, and we're going to stop and do some deep dives into the, the various sundry topics that they explore in the episode. Janet, was this your first time watching the show? It was. And I, I, you know, I asked you, I was like, why are you, why, why do you want me? <laughs> I was like, I have no, I've never seen this show before, but you said that was okay. And it was actually preferred. So yeah, I, I've never seen the show. So I was completely watching this from a fresh perspective. And um, do you want me to tell you if I liked it or not? Or should we hold that for suspense until the end? We'll save like it for the end. Let's we'll save it for our, a bit of a reveal. We'll do like a ooh. drum roll. And then uh, did Janet like this episode or not? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and don't feel too bad about being the newbie because George is also somewhat new to the show. I'm the uh, kind of obsessive elementary nerd here. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we welcome all people uh, to the show, whether they've seen it or not. The pilot opens on a slow motion kind of stylized scene of a woman being chased, chased and attacked. And... Um, I don't mean to start off on a negative note, but that's one of my pet peeves is when <laughs> violence against women is like stylized. Um, mm. But every crime show does it. So I'm not calling out elementary specifically, um, but once you start noticing it, you'll see it everywhere. <laughs> what other shows were doing that? Like, was it, I don't know, maybe I just watched like all the like NYPD blue and, all those kind I, of crime I think shows procedures. like that are more more straightforward like like yeah. law and order I think it was more like oh about another body in a parking deck yeah <laughs> you know, have it be a woman that's and like, then that's yeah. where things kicked off I think the newer stuff like maybe uh criminal minds might have had some of that in it where it was more of a, a, a demonstration of violence and and depravity versus mm -hmm. in camera work and my first note is like the horror the opening is horrifying but the camera work is excellent Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah the lighting you know it, it's beautiful in its in its execution it's just you know something you don't want to see yeah i did think yeah. what have i gotten myself into because i was thinking 
I don't watch any CBS shows except for mom. And that was only because I was writing a spec of it. So I thought, oh no, what's going on over here at CBS? But yeah, I did. <laughs> I was kind of curious, <laughs> what's happening? What am I watching? But that was, you're right. It was just that first scene, so. Well, and also I think if you, Janet, if you continue to watch, um, the tone will shift slightly as they go. I think you can tell looking back on this episode, it's it's definitely a pilot episode and it has um, that opening scene I, is, a, I don't remember them doing a lot of slow motion stuff um, later on in the series. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how it changes with yeah. time. I think it's the same note. It's like maybe don't stylize so much violence against females. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> Maybe they got a note. Maybe they got like a network note after the pilot came out. <laughs> well, pilots are always like that, right? They find out things that work and don't work and then they make adjustments. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree. I, it's it's yeah. tough to make a judgment on a show based on one pilot. I usually have to watch a few mm-hmm. <clears throat> episodes. Um, okay, so then we meet Joan Watson, uh, played by Lucy Liu. Uh, she shows up at her new client's home, which is this amazing brownstone. Uh, and oh, wait, I skipped a part. Oh, you mean the entire opening intro I, called open to Naked and Famous, which was like yeah, that's what I was gonna, I was gonna point <laughs> that out. Yeah, so she, so actually she wakes up in bed and they're playing Young Blood by Naked yep. and Famous. Mm-hmm. And it is the most 2012 moment ever. See, I was—I had a moment of that because I was like, okay, if this song is your cool hip opening, how cool and hip is the show? But then yeah. I did a little <laughs> digging while the song did come out in 2010 in New Zealand. <laughs> um, this And this episode didn't air till 2012, September. Um, it didn't hit American charts till 2011. Mm-hmm. And so, prior to this, it had been in uh, 10 other shows or movies in various forms, either like beginning and that sort of thing. But like, and like, this was like 11th in line for like the use of this song. So it wasn't, it was, it was, it was pretty new. For, it was everywhere at that time though. I feel like you couldn't go anywhere without hearing this song. But then you had to think this was filmed like a year earlier when they were, you know, initially doing it. So it was probably still like some PA was like, I like this song. They're like, I love this song. Let's put it in the show. And then <laughs> next thing you know, it's the next big thing. And they're like, well, we've already got it on, so never mind. <laughs> but, you know, it still, it makes the pilot feel like a time capsule from that era. So I'm Can into it. I have to it, say, but... I, I love George's PA voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my PA voices. I, I, I mean, that's going to be a recurring character. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, if you want a time capsule, go back and watch Alias. Oh, okay. From 2000? Oh, man. Was that on CBS, too? It was, uh, I think it was on... I thought that was a WB show. ABC or something like that? It was a a mainstream show. But I've been rewatching with some friends. And man, just the uh, sweater, the sleeveless turtleneck sweater midi tops that abound in the first season are unreal. Is that Jennifer Garner? Yeah, Jennifer Garner's in it. uh, Victor Garber. Ron Rifkin. Ooh, uh, I forgot uh, about that show. Carl Lumley's in it. It's so many characters you know from everything, but yeah. yeah. So if you want a time capsule show, go check that out and you'll be like, whoa, where's Smash Mouth? <laughs> Trust me, oh, Smash God. Mouth is in there. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. You have to forgive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take um, 
naked and famous over Smash Mouth any day. I'll tell them you said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Watson wakes up and goes for a very New York jog. She um, and gets a call that her new client escaped from rehab. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is she's never met him. So she shows up at his house, which is that aforementioned brownstone, and um, a sexy tattooed woman is leaving. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery. She's very rude too. She says, uh -huh. "Excuse me," and she just blows right by her like she's not even there. <laughs> I would be offended. Like I said, hello. Manners. Not even like, oh, no time. I can't talk. Just brushes by. Doesn't say a word. <laughs> so uh, he had a very important dental appointment to get to. Yeah. <laughs> uh -oh. Watson lets herself in, and this is when we meet Sherlock shirtless sherlock hello johnny lee miller yes. um <laughs> and he's standing there watching six different tvs and watson explains what the deal is with uh her being his sober companion we kind of learned that he's just gotten out of rehab she's basically there to well he calls her later an addict sitter but she's there to help him through his recovery and make sure he doesn't relapse in the first six weeks are there is there some sort of like hard number on six week window for for rehab relapses like once you make it past that six weeks like like they say if you can if you can go 21 days without doing something that's bad like you'll break that habit forever because you reprogram your brain mm. i don't I don't think so. I don't know. I don't. It, it seems like six weeks is just an arbitrary period. I'm like, it seems like if you're an addict, you're always going to have that issue looming somewhere in the back of your mind. I mean, that's why they call them addicts. Yeah. But so six weeks seemed like a weird number. I think it was probably more about what uh, Sherlock's dad was willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's the budget. <laughs> yeah. Because and I'll. I'm about to get to this in my notes. Sober companions are not cheap. Well, I mean, you have to be if you're going to stop being a surgeon and go be one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if that's a, it's like a relatively decent trade-off, then they're probably getting paid pretty well. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out about that more in a minute. Yeah. So um, Sherlock looks deep into Watson's eyes and declares his love for her at first sight and then hits play on the remote and plays. We, we see that he was actually quoting soap opera that he was watching on one of the six televisions watson is understandably freaked out and drops her purse so yeah i want to do a deep dive on sober companions now i want to do a deep dive on that soap opera and <laughs> what was that <laughs> what was the no but what was the soap opera and what was like clearly she was into it right are we just can we, i mean she was, she, was she was definitely transfixed she wasn't not the look not on her face it. yeah um <laughs> which i mean can you blame her no i cannot i Can't have blame to say. her um but it still was kind of a dick thing for him to do yeah well do you, you got a vibe at first that he was trying to like i'm going to come on to you sexually in order to make you not want to do this job so that i'm being problematic and you're always going to want to you yeah which yeah. was funny and then he did that which i didn't understand what the whole tv thing was trying to prove me either like, are you supposed to know what the show is by not seeing every else? Or have you watched so much television that this is a rerun to you and you just remember the lines perfectly? Yeah. Well, you, it, as you keep watching, you'll see him do that a lot, but it, but never with soap operas. 
uh, is just his way of taking in a lot of information at one time. But I don't know why he was watching a soap opera. It's probably just like daytime TV. And, and it definitely looked like a soap opera that they created specifically for the show. Yeah, I, I don't think oh, it was okay. like an all about children or anything. It was. Yeah. Oh, okay. A... I wondered about that. I wondered, is this a real soap opera that we should know? Or And I wondered, I couldn't remember if he actually said or if they mentioned what soap opera it was. But. No, it had like a um, a logo at the bottom of the screen, which I guess hmm. was like a New York hmm. uh, channel. Okay. It looked like a CW show where the kid is professing love for his stepmom. <laughs> <laughs> it was an odd dynamic they had on that screen for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like, these aren't any, these are not two actors I've ever seen before. Well, and this it was no General Hospital. <laughs> no. And it was like an acting class exercise because you got to see Johnny <laughs> Lee Miller do it first, where yeah. like, all of a sudden we're all a flutter, and then you watch the soap opera actor do it, and you're like, oh, oh, that's corny. Ne- oh, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, sober companions. What I learned at doing, you know, some cursory internet research is that they do exactly what you see Watson doing. They'll they make themselves available to a recovering addict basically 24 7 but it comes at a price and the rates can go from like 125 dollars an hour to a thousand dollars or more per day where do i apply i know right there well there are companies out there that need them in this climate we're in right now yeah Uh when i was researching this i was looking at a website called sobercompanion.com and their headquarters was at a building in century city that i used to work at and so i can testify that they must make quite a lot of money to pay rent in that building was it the nakatomi building near there though it was century plaza is like these two actually here's another bit of trivia this these two twin buildings were on the cover of a yes album in the 70s oh (laughs) I oh my god you know what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> i didn't know that we'll have to post a picture of that album on the, the 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 site or some sort of social media where you guys can see what we're talking about yeah I'm exactly also, i'm also currently bookmarking sobercompanions.com <laughs> <laughs> are you hiring in the, in the job hunt folder like in denver <laughs> yes <laughs> i i think i can see both of you doing that yeah but I, I, let me just want to say this in my reading there is some debate about the legitimacy of sober companions there's not exactly like one governing body that ensures i don't know what you say that sets rules and regulations so basically anybody can say they're a sober companion kind of in the same way anybody can say they're a life coach there's so there's no right. regulatory body and yeah. right right so personally i would trust joan watson Um, (laughs) but if you're out there and you think you may need a sober companion do your homework and get a good one (laughs) if you can afford it she's available (laughs) well we all want johnny you know lee to show (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah in fact some some things i read said that um they kind of referred to it as paid sponsorship and the way that people sponsor each other in aa that was what the detractors kind of called it like yeah you know this is something you could get for free if you just did the 12-step program but yeah but yeah isn't your sponsor though that's kind of like where they're on call but they're not living with you right it feels like a much more specialized it's like 
like I can go to the, the, the walk-in clinic and get a prescription or I have a live-in nurse that kind of like tends to my need. I guess it depends on your level of need. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I would imagine that if, especially like Sherlock's coming out of rehab for heroin, and I'm sure that's a really fragile time for someone. Um, so, I mean, what I read had this quote that there's no wrong way to get sober. And yeah, that's true. So the, whatever works for you, uh, do it. Yeah. I mean, lots of, um, uh, I know baseball players or sports figures are very famous, famously use um, uh, that service because it's kind of a, a condition of their contract is that they have to have somebody kind of babysitting them basically. Oh yeah. That's a good point, Jen. And I forgot to bring that up is that in the past celebrities have used these um, and sometimes are, have even been hired by studios mm -hmm. um, as a way. I, I can't remember all of the names. I think Robert Downey Jr. was one that yeah, was I listed. Yeah, I see him one back in the day when he was on his road. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an interesting career path. Well, okay. It sounds so. like a lucrative one at the very least. So. Well, yeah, and it makes sense now that you know how much money Watson makes, how she affords all of these dope clothes. She does <laughs> has a good wardrobe. <laughs> Oh, and spur of the moment opera tickets. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> I know we're going to get there, but I was, oh, we'll get was, there. That was that was something I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, Sherlock says they're leaving, and um, they head to the tube, um, which is his. British way of well, saying. Well, first, I want, you don't want to skip over the fact that there's definitely a uh, moment where she drops her purse and, you know, oh, yeah. anytime something happens in a, in, a, in a show like this and there's a thing, then there's going to be information gleaned. Mm -hmm. And and it's and they're on this conversation where they're now walking and then he's like, oh, making like, oh, you used to be a surgeon. And then he like starts hitting her with these points that like classically Holmesian, like, how do yeah. you know that? And he notices yes. her phone. She's or I think the mom is calling her. The parents mm -hmm. are calling her. It's yeah. Like, oh, uh, it's really big of your mom to forgive your father after the, the affair. And she's like, what? Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> we have a whole like walk There's and a talk. lot of that. <laughs> yes. A, a lot of that. <laughs> and I'm guessing that happens a lot in the show, just all the time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And then, well, one thing that Sherlock says to Watson that I think she uses later because what you don't realize while he's making all these deductions is that Watson's also observing and making her own deductions about him she kind of keeps to herself until later in the episode but he says um, she asks if, if that tattooed woman got him high and he says no uh, well he actually says about six feet um, and refers <laughs> to the, the uh, handcuffs oh that's right yeah and he says actually i find sex repellent but you know i need it for my body and mind and she kind of calls bullshit on that it's just an interesting that's what i think this is such a great pilot because nothing is wasted and so like yeah. this conversation is revealing so much about uh sherlock's character and like you said george like every little motion the dropping of the purse the pulling out the phone all these things are um clues for yeah, the audience I, I and love for the Sherlock. fact that these all come. Every one of these points comes back up later, and yeah. 
we won't get to there yet. We'll get to there when we get there. But I think that the scene where they do come back up is probably some of the best movie, I mean, TV making, like script wise, I think I've ever seen. Just as far as we'll get there. But let's say yeah. it comes back up later in a really good way and a good payoff. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we see Sherlock deduces that Watson was a doctor and that she has a car based on various things he observes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take the tube to a crime scene and we learn that that's Sherlock- the subway for you non-British people. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, we learn Sherlock was an unpaid consulting detective at Scotland Yard. So I want to pause here and do a quick deep dive on consulting detectives. They're not a thing. <laughs> yeah, the only time they're ever a thing is when they are played by someone who is portraying some sort of murder mystery person. Agatha Christie or Holmes. No one ever does it for free. Well, and also police don't use consulting detectives or I guess what they would be called in that instance is a private detective or private investigator they don't use those mm-hmm. unless they're desperate this, this is what i found on quora which listen i don't like quora <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna come this out and say i don't like this quora podcast brought to, this podcast <laughs> is brought to quora, quora. <laughs> we just have to plug it right now i'm sorry <laughs> funny. like i hate quora the first episode i'm burning bridges <laughs> But I did find uh, an entry on Quora where someone was saying um, the only consultants that law enforcement use most of the time are like experts in certain subject matter, but they wouldn't hire a civilian like Sherlock Holmes to come in and take the lead on an investigation. So Sherlock deflects Watson's personal questions (laughs) by deducing what you said earlier george that she had an that her father had an affair he is working for the nypd now and then we meet captain gregson played by aiden Aiden quinn Quinn. yes yes one of my (laughs) one of the fun little google rabbit holes i went down was uh googling young aiden quinn photos oh yes (laughs) did you go was this all before biddy and june or after biddy because that's what i primarily know him from is biddy and june yeah, let's see. I haven't seen all of them, but Benny and June, Practical Magic, and Legends of the Fall were like the big ones. Mm. He was like one um, of the brothers in Legends of the Fall, right? I think so. I'm not sure. He was the not Brad Pitt brother. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, hats off to whoever did the casting on. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love the character. Um, Aiden Quinn, he does such a good job, and he it's almost a thankless role because you can tell a lot of the times he's just there for Sherlock to kind of bounce off of. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that they chose to make like the lead detective, the guy who was a cool with him being there and B brought him in. Normally yes. it's uh, like the third or fourth level. Who's just sort of like, Oh, we're going to knock on doors, but I know a guy, he may be able to help us. And then they somehow rise up with the ranks by, by, bringing this person who's really really good at what they do and they get like some of the side credit for it but for have him be like lead detective and then be like yeah i'm bringing this guy in and then have like the younger people being like who the heck is this guy that's rare that's a that's not a very it's not a common trope well yeah. and you can see he that 
I don't know what the other detective's name is. I just keep calling him other detective because he doesn't appear in any subsequent episodes. But oh, that okay. guy, so this is the only one he's in. Yeah, he's really irritated the whole time. Whereas Captain Gregson has worked with Sherlock at Scotland Yard and knows his process. And he's like, yeah. just just give it a minute, you know. Um, but I wanted to also point out that uh, Tobias Gregson is a character from the Conan Doyle canon. He is a co-worker or contemporary of Lestrade at Scotland Yard. So yeah, that's a nice little nod to the camera. They probably pulled him because it's like, well, it'd be kind of obvious if we just said Gre- like Lestrade. So we'll, we'll go with Gregson because he's in there, but. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think he's in um, a study in Scarlet. Mm. He's a character in that one. Okay. So now we get into the crime scene and we meet Dr. Richard Mantlow, uh, who came home to his dope ass apartment. Uh, to find the door kicked in and his wife Amy missing. And I wanted to point out that Dr. Matlow is played by Dallas Roberts, whom you recognize from everything. Yeah, I did. I was like, I how didn't do I know him. this? Oh, I was really? like, I know this guy from something and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was just like, I hate his glasses. <laughs> I hate those little like like frameless glass. Ugh, they're terrible. So 2012. <laughs> they're so bad. <laughs> well, he, I think I recognized him from SVU. It seemed like he played a serial killer or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah that but... same like weird comb back, but long in the back haircut. Ugh, with like, oh, we have a little bit of stubble. I, I did not like his look. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's good. I mean, maybe they did that on purpose. Yeah, he has a kind of squirmy looking kind of vibe. It's kind of squinty, head. little beady eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to say it, but this is something that happens with a lot of New York shows. If you recognize an actor, you're going to be seeing them again. They're going to be important somehow. I thought the first guy they interview after all of this, when, you know, after, after they leave the, the, this dope ass apartment and then they go and talk to the first guy who's tall, as we find out later, um, I thought that guy was going to be a bigger part because I recognize him from a bunch of stuff. Oh, I didn't recognize him at I all. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things. And he's always kind of like, you know, a banker or doctor, lawyer, or some sort of like affluent scientist huh. guy. He's always got some, he's always like, you know, very white male privilege vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and, and he was obviously giving that off here. And I'm like, oh, is this going to be the killer? Because I don't remember this episode at all. So maybe it is. Uh, I didn't recognize him. But yeah, you know. I should have looked him up. So Sherlock deduces from pictures on the wall and on Amy's phone. Uh, that she recently lost weight or had some kind of plastic surgery. And he deduces that she let the attacker into the apartment. So she knew him. And he notices something missing in the living room and starts pressuring Dr. Mantlow to remember what was there before. Uh, and Watson tries to stop him. I think Watson is, she still has that bedside manner. Yeah. It's like, take it easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would and, like to point uh, out that uh, the all the pictures on her phone look like they belong to like, a hot friend dating app because <laughs> they're all like real close headshots of like very attractive women and he's like right 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 there's like it's yeah a very unrealistic series of like this is not the kind of friend photos you would have on your phone that's true yeah. it'd be like group selfies and yeah like someone's already got their arm stretched out or you know yeah. they're all kind of like grouped around brunch and everyone's got a mimosa in their hand or something <laughs> and like that's universal and that her phone was not accurate Sorry, right. elementary. <laughs> yeah, that's <off>. so true. <laughs> I have to agree that that was very unrealistic. <laughs> but the doctor does 
pull it together and he remembers there was a ring box on that table um so sherlock starts looking around and realizes there's a safe room hidden inside the bedroom based on the angle of the floor but it was he, the settling of the floor right yeah, yeah the floor had settled due to the weight so he rolls that marble where that, did that marble come from he pulled it from like a decorative bowl or something <laughs> <laughs> you know why people be having those bowls with yes. like glass shit in them They're all the time like how do you have a bowl of beads i know it's stupid just, just for stupid because they knew he was coming over <laughs> like oh it put was, out the good marbles it was very convenient um, but I think that marble appears in the opening oh. opening credits uh, in the little Rube Goldberg machine that they have. And also maybe the breaking glass from the slow motion at the beginning. Mm. Um, it's interesting when you see like a show beginning and they basically cut together an intro from like the first three episodes. And then how long that lasts before they recut the episode for something completely different. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, we, so well, this is so old. We need new episodes. So we'll recut together a new intro. <laughs> I don't think they ever do that for this show. I think they used to I thought it. it was really weird that he was like, I don't know why there's a safe room in my house. <laughs> yeah. How do you not? <laughs> How did we not arrest him right then? <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff that gave me the indicator that this was not a healthy relationship. When, when <laughs> his wife suddenly changed her entire appearance, I'm thinking, is she being stalked? Then yeah. it's like, there's a safe room. He does, he's like, oh, she did all the remodeling on this place. She's the one who was in charge of everything. Like, mm-hmm. in charge enough to mm-hmm. the entire section of the house that you don't know about. Also, why does lady need, a like, a safe room and not tell her husband about it? Hello. Right. You know. <laughs> like, you that don't was, need to be Johnny Lee Miller to figure this one out. That was, that was, that was pretty sketch, for yes. sure. <laughs> exactly. Something a mess, for sure. Yeah. So, do y'all want to talk about safe rooms for a minute? <laughs> I just have a couple fun facts about safe rooms i mean they are exactly what you think like from the movie uh safe room it's like a panic room where you can lock yourself in and nobody can get to you i found a price for an eight by six panic room eight feet by six feet for eight thousand dollars so if that's the price of you know peace of mind um you can have it and um this sounds like an upright coffin (laughs) <laughs> an eight by six eight foot by uh, it sounds terrifying double wide in fact i've never seen the movie safe room because i'm a little claustrophobic um, uh panic room oh is that what it's called panic room <laughs> jody foster <laughs> yes that's what and, i'm thinking of and baby bella and dwight yoakam <laughs> Kristen stewart oh dwight yeah. yoakam? i've not ever seen this movie so. oh it's good i remember seeing the theater it really is it's really an intense movie but it's 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 really well done but yeah jodie foster dwight yoakam uh uh deforest whitaker's in it oh. or forrest whitaker in it not De- deforest kelly forrest whitaker totally different people and then yeah little Kristen stewart is in it like she is like 12 years old in this movie huh. oh and then i i found out that ships have um safe rooms built into them called citadels and they're there to uh for the crew to hide in if they get attacked by pirates Yar. what happens if you if the ship goes down is it then waterproof? you're then you're screwed <laughs> i don't think i don't think that was a feature of the citadel and you die <laughs> right so here's my question about safe rooms you could spend what eight grand on an eight by ten box installed in your house that you have to like know where it is, make sure you hit the button in the moment. Every if you have a family, you got to get everybody together. If someone breaks in, what if 
you just make everyone's bedroom door like a safe room door. So when it shuts, if you lock it, everyone is locked in their bedroom safe. Sure, people can steal your shit, but you can't get to your family. And then, you know, you call the police, signal signal automatically goes out. And then the police show up. And then when they sort of like confirm that the police are there, you hit the button, everyone comes out. Well, it would have to be, you would have to do more than just the door. You'd have to do any windows in the room and, and the ventilation. Because what I read about safe rooms is that they go in and like install concrete or steel, you know, in the walls and um, make sure that no one can get to you from any unconventional means like like through the vents and stuff because they're talking about like people who need protection from assassins or uh i I don't know like who important people i I guess if you want to gauge your need by how likely am i to get assassinated then go from there (laughs) but i think if you're just worried about typical home invasion you know maybe some bars on the window and then a lot room door that locks and then a police call and then everyone's going to run away you know there's a siren you know, typical thieves are because they'll bolt. That's true. And as you can see from, you know, the show, it didn't work for her. She couldn't get there in time. Um, well, yeah. She got there. She got <laughs> there. Mean, just She got there the hard was, way. Yeah, it was not, not the okay, way she intended. So while we're on this subject, have y'all seen those earthquake boxes where you're in your bed and, and when the earthquake hits, it doubles, oh. it like, it turns into a a safe room it like the bottom drops out and encloses you almost like in a coffin and protects uh-uh. you that yes! sounds horrifying oh yes. my god to okay. go from dead sleep to yes. earthquake to <laughs> nope and yes. then it's like well i'm locked in here and my house fell on me cool. okay, oh my so god you talk about okay so allison i have to ask and you're googling you did not come across earthquake box <laughs> i did i did see a little bit about it but i didn't look into it i didn't you know it was like a that. couple of like kind bars and some water and shit <laughs> maybe a blinky flashy light to let people know where you are maybe a raw walkie-talkie or something oh. not a not a coffin okay that is my worst nightmare <clears throat> I will be sharing a link with you. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty horrifying. It is. It, I mean, and it's like an instant thing. So as soon as like the I guess shaking is detected sufficient to where the, I guess, I don't know how the thing knows that it's, you're in that much danger, but the thing just co- completely closes around you and how oh you talk about <laughs> from a, from a, Oh my gosh. Life. But think of it. You're in your bed. What other activities cause your bed to shake? I right? mean, you, you got to be rocking <laughs> the free world in order for that to trigger an earthquake box. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, but can you imagine, though, if you're, like, in the middle of the act and the, the bed drops down and, and then, like, a wall comes up and, and closes you into this? Oh, fuck. Imagine no. if that's, like, your first time with someone. Oh, like, man. Surprise! <laughs> Absolutely well, I, let me, not. Okay, let me just interject here and say that if I'm in this bed and it causes the earthquake box to close uh, then that is like my soulmate <laughs> like, it's like this is the person that you need to be with for the rest of your life imagine if you were the like okay imagine if you were a woman with a man for the first time and this happened and next thing you know you're trapped in a box naked with this person that's not going to end well for you spiritually <laughs> you're I, not going to want to be back there again <laughs> like i'm good i'm out 
Yeah, I'm, I'm out too. I'm, the I earth just, literally I'm, moved. I never want that to happen again. <laughs> I would be like, okay, if that, but if, but if that's how good the sex was, then what else do you need? <laughs> just order Postmates and be done with it. Exactly. Sex- like, dude, just dial up the sensitivity a little bit so it's not. <laughs> if it's you can measure your sex on the Richter scale, then. You, yes. Yeah. I think you you can just call it a Richter, day. damn near killed her. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Like <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, so they find Amy's body in the safe room. And, and it is posed. It is yes. oddly. Again, this going back to what I was talking about in the beginning, like she's beautifully made up and she's wearing this nightgown that I'm like, do people really wear nightgowns like this at home just around the house? It kind of it always makes me think of Ophelia and how no. she's always pictured, you know, and all this all these famous artworks and stuff of just being beautiful and dead. Yep, that's her um, vibe. Yeah, yes, that's that's yeah. Again, like you see, Doctor Mantlo does he insists he didn't know they had a safe room, and then later Watson asks Sherlock, "How does he do it? Like, how do you guess this stuff?" And he says, "I don't guess, I deduce," and he deduced that. Watson was a doctor by the hand cream she used, and he found out about her father's affair on Google because not everything is deducible. Um, and I thought this would be a good time to talk about deductive reasoning because it's pretty foundational to the whole Holmes Sherlock thing. Basically, it's exactly what Sherlock does. He takes established truths to deduce another truth does that make Actually, sense this is a this is a nitpicky thing because it, he's gotten away with this for since conan doyle started writing the books but technically what he does is not deductive reasoning mm, interesting deductive is when you take the big picture and distill it down to small things he does the opposite he does inductive reason which he takes little things like parking stubs and this and that and builds larger frameworks of it but for some reason conan doyle when he was writing this decided deduction sounds better hmm. so i'm just going to use that instead because holmes's whole milieu is the fact that he takes a scrap of lint or a brush of mud on your boot and can somehow reconstruct where you were the night before to startling detail. So he takes a little bitty bitty thing and makes it into a big thing versus deductive, which is like, well, I'm going to look at the room and then through a series, he does both, but he's known for his deductive logic when he it actually primarily uses induction. So as, if you take a like, glance at a room and then like you look at this and that, this and that, and narrow it down, and all of a sudden you're looking at like, okay, this is where the safe is because of this small little thing. It's, it's sort of like the reverse process. Mm. So like oh. deductive reasoning is like big to small yeah. and inductive is like small to big. So it's a ticket is like deductive reasoning is like finding the needle in the haystack. Inductive is being able to see the needle and then use it to locate a different haystack. Mm. The, the Wikipedia says um, deductive reasoning is the process of reasoning from one or more statements or premises to reach a logical conclusion. Example being all men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Therefore Socrates is mortal. But obviously that, doesn't you know that formula doesn't get you the right answer in a lot of cases yeah, so it's again it's like all men are something somebody is something therefore somebody is something like a b c b c c 
that sort of thing. You're sort mm -hmm. of like funneling it down to like your salient point. Mm. I um, feel like I should not have an opinion here because I feel like a bunch of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle heads are going to be going off like crazy in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I'm just going to not have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let George handle them. Well, as yeah. of right now, we don't have any listeners, so you're fine. That's true. No one's heard. Oh, this you yet. go crazy. You will now. You will now. As soon as, there's, as soon as the word gets out that there's been somebody who has gone against the, what was it that you said that? Oh, technically, it is not. He's not using. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, I just O'Reillyed. I think some bunch of ears perked up all over. So. You know what, though, I wonder if if the Conan Doyle heads are really watching Elementary because um, it does depart in so, so many ways from the canon. you know what if you're like a i get into this later with like some of my comments about the end of the episode but i do think that if you are into the mindset of victorian era conan doyle like mm -hmm. that's your vibe you probably won't like this show yeah because the way that sherlock is a portrayed and then treated by watson who is supposed to be like his like go-to so-and-so whatever yeah. it's so much different in this show and i love it i love i love the the take on it but if you were a hardcore like well this is how it was in the sign of four and running down like all the salient points you're you're i don't think you're really going to appreciate the nuance and then the the humanity which they give this version of sherlock holmes yeah agreed yeah, yeah. agreed um okay so Later, the other detective thanks Sherlock for helping him get their guy because they are all assuming that Dr. Mantlow did it. But uh, now Sherlock isn't so sure uh, that he actually did. He's un-Sherlock. Uh, he's un-Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's because of the bruising patterns um, on Amy's neck. They indicate that she was strangled by a large, tall man with big hands and the boot print that they found at the scene, which would have been about a size 11 and Dr. Mantlo is small. Or, or he has quite or unquote, average, I guess, girl feet, <laughs> <laughs> which in this case, it's not, if you're just going for a size comparison, it's not officially sexist, but it is somewhat diminutive from a masculine point of view to like liken some other man's body part to a female. Did, did they, Say what size Dr. Mantlo was. He like has a size yeah. eight. A oh, size yeah. eight, okay. which is still large for a woman. Yeah, that's large for a woman. Yeah. Um, and I then... won't say anything, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Janet's over there rocking some size elevens, being yes, like, "Yes, <laughs> I, I, my feet are quite large." <laughs> like it's all good. <laughs> but can I just can I rewind for just a second and say that I think y'all should have a moment in your in every podcast in every uh, episode where you said that uh, an un Sherlock what did you say his moment of Sherlock yeah. I think y'all should have one of those in every in every podcast episode I think that would be funny it's also funny that we call him that because we know what the whole story is but they never yeah. referred him to Sherlock in the first episode yeah he only gets called by Holmes. Yeah, I just oh, I didn't notice that. He never gets called Sherlock once. Huh? huh. I did not catch. I don't that think. One. Maybe when he first introduces himself, but I'm pretty sure that she. I think she says, "Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you Holmes?" And then he says, "Yes," or whatever. I don't think they use his name. I'd have to go back and watch it, but I'm pretty sure now that I say it, I back off of it like a wuss. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure they right. don't say it. I don't remember hearing it. Well, because he's not exactly 
He's not exactly using his best manners when she first meets him. Yeah. They don't have like a cordial introduction. They're very informal. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted, but. Oh, no. Introduction or in- interruptions welcome. So they get a list of all the tall people or tall men in uh, their life. I guess I could. could have or been women a woman. with big feet. Yeah, let's be fair. Uh, can, we, can we just say he did not think about that? That's, you know what? That's a very good point. Yes. I have a future as a, as a detective, I think. <laughs> oh. For, let's see, what is the, the difference in shoe sizes for men and women? Is it like three steps or two um, steps? Two or three. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, if he... because I I could wear the eight or eight and a half. I can wear that size, and I'm like ten and a half to an eleven. Yeah, so he, so you would be about the size of Doctor Mantlow, but not the size <laughs> of the killer. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> so God, he has Janet so feet. Janet Just say feet. that. <laughs> but that sounds so much better. Girl feet. I, he has <laughs> delicate girl feet, like me, <laughs> that are enormous. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So they go to interrogate one of these tall men uh, at the hospital. His name's Dr. Polk. And while they're in his office, Watson spots a size 11 shoebox. And he tells them that Amy did get plastic surgery, despite being quite beautiful already. Can I point out that I think it was Watson? Yeah, I was worth pointing out. Because you can kind of see, like, already... Yeah, this is, she, being around Sherlock is already starting to bring this mm-hmm. out in her. Mm-hmm. It happens really gradually and naturally, and they don't call attention to it, but it does feel like that's an early clue. And she oh. does it so, and Lucy Liu, like the actress, does it so well too. Like her, the way that she did it in the scene, I thought was really, really nice. It was just this little nudge with her eyes that was mm-hmm. you know, yeah, well low key, but she. Mm-hmm before sherlock can even ask the question she jumps in and says you know what were your whereabouts on the night that amy was killed or i I don't remember how she worded it but Mm -hmm. she sounds like a straight-up detective already Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh you can see and and they give that great reaction shot of sherlock taking note of like whoa (laughs) you can tell she's energized by it turns out that dr polk doesn't have a very good alibi and he has history of stalking so they still consider him a suspect i want to point out that this show at least this episode and and i will say it's a pretty literal use of red herrings which it's fine um uh, i'm sure you know what a red herring is listeners Mm -hmm. but it's basically when uh author will throw in a lead on something so that you will think that that's the way it's going but it turns out that that's really not it's a dead end or it was planted there by something else it's false evidence the size 11 shoe the fact that he was tall the fact that he has stalking history and he always has a reason for everything so he he looks on paper like a solid suspect that they might take him in for some questioning but they don't actually do it i just love the fact that they they're really good about unless you've seen it before you don't know where this is going because they basically already ruled out the husband, which is almost like, that's I would say, like in a, in, in a murder, 99% of the time, it's the husband or the boyfriend. Yep. Because that's just how statistics work. So <laughs> it, it's really, it's really well done crafted mystery as far as that goes. Yeah, I think so too. I, I mean, obviously they do have to kind of give you the runaround or they, they can't solve it too fast. So um, yeah, he, and he's kind of uh 
a snippy character, Dr. Polk. So it, yeah. it's fun to watch them interact with him. Um, I like the fact that based on the photos he showed us, like the, the, the massive amounts of plastic surgery she got was she got rid of a mole and changed her hair to red. <laughs> yes. It wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. She didn't really change her body type much. It was really just like, okay, well, you, you got boob, you got a boob job and you got red hair. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But it is, it, it is like, you have to think about it. It's, it's like, why would, you know, it is a mystery for sure. It's absolutely a weird point. Like, why would you go through all that pain or whatever, just for like the smallest changes mm-hmm. perceptively to us anyway, because we didn't, we didn't really get to see her before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, it did do, for me, it did do a good job of like making me question what the hell was going on? Was she, did she have somebody that was trying to do something to her that she needed? Mm-hmm. Like they, it did raise enough questions because she was beautiful before and there was yeah. no, like, was she like, was there mental illness? Was she, you know, mm-hmm. I, there was a lot of questions that were floating around at that moment. So. Yes, for sure. Something was going on with her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that night Watson notices honey dripping from the ceiling at the brownstone. Like and- you do. That's how you get ants, <laughs> by the way. Like, I, what is this? She goes up to the roof and finds Sherlock sitting on the roof with his beehives and composing a book about beekeeping in his mind. Um, Chapter 19. <laughs> uh, and I just want to point out that the view on top of that roof is spectacular. We've got the New York City skyline, and I don't know what body of water that would be, but I did a little Googling, and they filmed this in Long Island City, and I found that you can see a similar view at Gantry State Park in Long Island City, if we ever I, I are able to travel again. I wonder if they are friends with the, uh, with the What We Do in the Shadows Vampires. Is, is that where they film? Yeah, it's take place in Long Island, so maybe they're, you know, I would love that crossover. I think Long I Island City show. is kind of near. It's like part of Queens. Oh, is it? I don't know yeah. New York. So it's not like, it sounds like it would be on Long Island, but it's not really. But anyway, that view is so gorgeous. So he tells her about his book. And um, then he points out that Watson obviously must hate her job. Otherwise, she wouldn't need two alarm clocks to get up in the morning. She denies that, of course. He's like, but you like what I do. Because he noticed her, the way she lit up. Uh, when they interrogated Dr. Polk. And I, I love that moment between them because she doesn't deny. <laughs> she's kind of a, I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. Um, but he has, he has a point. How, I don't know. Do you guys use two alarm clocks ever? No. I don't even use one anymore. Yeah, these yeah. days. I, I mean, I do have one, but I usually I'm awake before it goes off. Yeah. And the next morning, Watson actually oversleeps because Holmes sabotaged her two alarm setup and which was extremely easy to thwart by the way yeah like bat- well, well, he had to be pretty good though because <laughs> he had to be quiet because one was right by her head he had to unplug and then the other had to pop the battery out yeah like, he's stealthy <laughs> yeah. he most rolled like a 15 or 16 on the stealth check <laughs> or she just sleeps like a log or that too maybe she was snoring really loud yeah I think it's a little of both. You'll see that Sherlock fucking with Joan while she sleeps uh, is it becomes a thing. Um, A runner. (laughs) (laughs) Just like tell me more. (laughs) So she she has to track him down at the precinct and give him a 
drug test because I guess that's a regular part of their agreement as you know sober companion he's looking over uh, previous cases that had similar mo's to amy's uh killing and he finds the case of a woman named eileen renfro who was also attacked and strangled but she survived this is an interesting conversation that they have about there's like an interesting character moment where Sherlock tells Watson he doesn't need her as a sober companion. He's done with drugs. She may as well take a six-week vacation. And it's like, well, Sherlock, if you are so great at deducing things, you could deduce that she is not the type of person to shirk her job and go take a six-week vacation. Like, yeah. well, I think, she I, would I think never... he knows that. And there's an actual, like, like basically saying like if you if you want to keep doing the detective thing that's cool i don't need you as a companion so basically he's going to screw up that part of her job and then, but make himself available for the detective part and make the other part as hard as possible just just because yeah there's a moment of like i think he legitimately thinks he's doing what's best for her which again him doing that is still condescending and pandering but it's like his head is in like what he thinks is the right place, even though he goes about it in a very weird way. Just like his brand is like, he oh, just, yes. everything he does that is good has got some stupid, you know, self-serving motivation behind it. That's, yeah. that's quintessential Sherlock is, you know, he can be so kind and that deductive quality that he has, he applies it to his friends. And I think he really sees them for who they are. Uh, but he is also very off-putting. And like you said, can be self-serving so i i think throughout this episode it's hard to determine sometimes what his motives are whether he's really being genuine or if he's being manipulative honestly i think half the time he doesn't know (laughs) as we see in a little bit sometimes (laughs) things work out for him but i don't think that he enters into certain things going nope this is how i'm going to do it exactly sometimes he's just quick enough to kind of cover his track but he points out that he thinks the missing ring box is actually a trophy and we all know what kind of killers take trophies from their victims the serial variety so i thought we might take a minute to talk about serial killers and their trophies if you guys have so i don't have any trophies who told you that who told you have trophies (laughs) they're mementos so according to the internet serial killers take trophies which which is a memento a lock of hair jewelry newspaper clippings of the crime uh, it because it helps prolong even nourish their fantasy of the crime and later they can sit back in their lazy boy and just relive the moment over and over it's deeply fucked up i actually went to this site called mindhuntersinc.com which yeah is the same mindhunters from the david fincher show is yeah. that on netflix I love that show. yeah the netflix such show. a good show it's so good yeah <sighs> that's king george that the third yes yeah uh, don't get me started um, we're going to hamilton we can't do hamilton and then we can't do mine hunters <laughs> we got to stay focused <laughs> stay focused so i just i just pulled up a link of some famous serial killer trophies but while you're pulling up that link that is yet another show where the casting like everybody on that show is somehow very like sexually charged i don't know what it is somebody may we should look into that let's do a maybe do a podcast about the casting on these shows you you think it's just jonathan groff's raw sexual charisma yeah it's just (laughs) pouring out of him yeah yeah 
Um, so let's see. This is from Ranker.com. Just some examples of famous serial killers and their trophies. Oh, Ed Gein made masks with his victims' faces. And oh. lampshades. Um, yeah, bowls created from skulls. This feels like beyond trophy. This, yeah. is, this is part of his fetish, part of yeah. his pathology. Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to even say that collect, like saving your victim's skin is a trophy, but okay, I'll accept it. Ted Bundy put his victim's heads on display, which I wonder how people know about that. I mean, maybe he had like a secret room at home. I don't know. Somebody will write in and tell us. If- now you've upset the Bundy heads. Yeah. <laughs> the Bundy heads. Oh, no. <laughs> Double. Double yep. whammy. Oh, my God. That was a really dark double entendre. Charles Albright took his victim's eyeballs. Jeffrey Dahmer preserved the genitals. So it seems parts. to me, in the scheme of things, a jewelry box, not that bad. No, not like almost not that bad. okay. <laughs> but yeah, there are some examples of like more mundane items. Australian Ivan Milat kept his camping supplies and things from his victims. Well, that's just useful. I, yeah, it's, it's I was very resourceful. Inanimate object versus <laughs> like part of their flesh. So Joel Rifkin kept panties bras driver's license jewelry and library cards from his victims anyway that's enough of that okay so they're at eileen renfro's house this obviously traumatized woman asking her about her attack and does can she remember anything about her attacker and sherlock is getting aggressive in a way that is not great when you're you're talking with anyone but especially when you're talking to the victim of a sexual assault i can't imagine how like what kind of um trauma that would bring up in the moment yeah and she gets a little prickly with him and eventually asks him to leave because he's being so and watson has to intervene and say like get out and of course later when watson comes out of the house she got the information that they needed because she has that bedside manner yeah, and she knows how this, to talk this to is people. one of those moments where i was talking earlier about the humanization of his character and, and like the modern iteration of this because in any other version if it were if it were the bbc version or the robert downey jr version or even like the traditional like text version this would have been his plan like well she's not giving me anything i'm going to play the bad cop and then have good cops swoop in and like get the information i need when when i get kicked out and it could totally worked but in this one that's what he says he did but then we find out later that he had no idea and this was just a lucky chance and i think there's a lot of moments in this in this dynamic where he is just a bull in a china shop and barreling around and and she by virtue of being centered and compassionate and and like it's like he has like the and the intellect to do this stuff but she has the 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 heart to do this stuff and like without her he wouldn't need to have the work done and i and i i'm looking forward to see how that develops but i think this is one of those moments like we said earlier that if you're just a hardcore conan doyle fan from back in the day and that that iteration of Sherlock, 
you, this is where this is one of those moments that you probably would not like about the show where he admits he was wrong yeah yeah and we start to see that you know even this early on we see watson is not just a sidekick that she's a real asset to him mm -hmm. and and she has strengths where he has weaknesses it will take a while for him to realize that i think what watson found out from eileen was that she was attacked by a friend of the family named peter saldua she never told anybody that it was him because uh, you know the complicated reasons of being a victim of something and not, you know yeah. she didn't want to cause she had that same concern for him that you know he's still a family of the friend it's hard to understand from the outside but i know it's not uncommon um so they start investigating peter saldua or you know sherlock's about to call he does call gregson and greg is like actually yeah found him and he's dead he's dead <laughs> you probably want to get over here because uh yeah he's dead yeah so they go to the crime scene which is at saldua's apartment and there are some things that stand out already the washing machine is overturned his cell phone is missing but they believe it was a suicide because they find the gun in his hand you know sherlock's not satisfied with that and he keeps pouring over the evidence and watson thinks that he's being obsessive which i think she attributes to addict and a recovery type behavior and really it's just sherlock yeah it's also part of his like but we haven't talked about spectrums and 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 social high functioning social issues and that sort of thing which we can get i mean this is an overarching thing with him in every every iteration of him so it's not like something we just need to jump into now but because you could say high functioning autism or, or something like that or anything any of those things or savant and the, you know that sort of thing but some of the downsides to that are the social issues and they have back backlash. I mean, the outlashing and, 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 and that sort of thing where you don't know how to handle somebody. So you get defensive and you put up your walls and you lash out that way. And this whole next scene is just that. And it's him utilizing the little bits and pieces he found about earlier and somehow weaponizing them, mm -hmm. you know, utilizing like, well, I didn't want to say uh, the thing about your, the patient because i thought it would hurt your feelings but i can tell you killed the person because of the parking ticket is from the outside of the cemetery and everything is both get you backstory on her which is fantastic this whole scene mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. chef's kiss it's amazing mm -hmm. but it gives her that it gives him this sort of like you see how abrasive and toxic he can be if he's in this negative headspace of he's not figuring out the clues he's not solving the case the case is not going the way he expected it to and you see how negative and bad he can be and then you see how she takes it and takes it and then she finds she's like i'm done with you and walks away mm -hmm. and just that whole unveiling of the of the bits and pieces is masterful she definitely admires his abilities but she doesn't stroke his ego or build him up or coddle him it's very much like okay you are a gifted individual i fully understand that but I'm not putting up with your shit, which is why she's like, I'm going to the, I'm going to the opera by myself. I'm tired of your crap. Mm -hmm. I love that about her. I yeah. It's also there, there are times in, in the past where, where the Watson figure has questioned homes, but usually it's like, why would you tell me what's going on? It's like, 
sooner or later i'll tell you tell you tell you tell you in a minute or something like that there's always like <laughs> put him off or she's straight up like you're wrong yeah and and that doesn't happen and i love it i think yeah. he does too he definitely if, his character definitely doesn't hate it if it, even if yeah. he doesn't appreciate it in the moment he always benefits from it and he comes to realize that i i love that scene too because you're getting background on both of them when um watson says you know i got us opera tickets your dad said that you like opera and Sherlock kind of goes off he's like yeah. I saw Le Grand Macabre once and now he thinks I'm an opera buff and so that like what you know they're showing you a little glimpse of his relationship with his father and yeah. it it becomes a big thing later on but there's so much of that that is so fast that you'll miss it if you you know it, yeah it just comes at you I was going to mention the I think I mean when when he's at um Saldua's uh, uh, house they also um he investigates the pills right there's also yeah. a call to oh the, that's right yeah that's a the, good thing to point out yeah because there's like a question about whether but which because i thought was funny because he calls the guy the the other detective and the guy is like oh yeah we just call him todd his, yeah the, the other detective <laughs> He, he pulls the bag of pills out and conveniently the pills are, are the bottle and they're outside so we can see that they're a different type of tablet because yeah, he wants was... to question the shape and he goes, aren't they oval and blue? And he's like, no, they're round and they're like, uh, he knew that they were something different that was being given. They're steroids yeah. versus Xanax or whatever. So yeah, we see when they're at the crime scene, we see he had a prescription for a Xanax and mm -hmm. I guess they collected that into evidence and then later when watson is at the opera sherlock kind of busts in like a rude boy and <laughs> just like ruins everyone's op night at the opera which i can i i want to take a little detour and talk about this the opera that this is not the one that they're watching in the scene but the one that <laughs> sherlock mentions that he saw as a child is called Le Grand macabre and you <laughs> If you look at those show notes, I put a picture of a production there. It is wild. I saw that. It is like, it does, it's just the most abstract. I think the story might take place in hell. Um, it, <laughs> there's a funny line that I wanted to read you guys. Mm -hmm. Away, you swag pot. Lick the floor, you dog. Squeak out your dying wish, you pig. I mean, that sort of informs some of his, like, BDSM tendencies. I was going to say, this sounds like it could have been recorded at the, uh, the him with that tattooed girl. Yeah. There's like, he's like, no, 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 read this exactly as I give yeah. it to you. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, so I, you can um, jot that down and, and use that in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's Picking a freebie from me yeah. to you. Um, and then... <laughs> Maybe we can include a link. There are links. Uh, uh, there are YouTube videos of this opera, and it is weird as fuck. Uh, <laughs> delightfully so. so. So he goes to the opera. He has the thing about the pills. He apologizes. He shushes the woman. <laughs> I love the little, so like he's not even on key. I love the little, <laughs> just one so more weird. little nudge where he knows about everything. It's yeah. so true. It was so funny. I was like, okay, that's, look at there are moments when his abilities can be played for humor and that's definitely one of them right there. But yeah, then he's like, well, all of this depends on how fast you can get me to the hospital. And then he <laughs> takes him to the hospital. He confronts the, the doctor and lays out his whole master plan, which let me just say, 
So do you want to talk us very convoluted Because you were getting into this earlier. <laughs> talk us through Sherlock's theory of there the crime. So the theory as it stands is actually, and we also get a little bit of a moment where, um, where Mantlo is like hypothetically and like just the <laughs> smarmy bad guy bullshit of like, if you had proof, then this might be what happened. But since you don't, I'm going to low key give you my entire monologue, backstory, whatever. So basically he, he was not happy in his marriage, but he had signed a prenup with his very wealthy wife, which you got to be pretty wealthy to be, to be outpacing a, a psychotherapist in New York in the early, you know, into the 2010s. So um, he wants a divorce. He can't get a divorce without losing everything that he has. So his grand plan is to, I'm going to talk her and I'm going to befriend slash therapize this individual who has an obsession with curvy redheaded women. Then I am going to talk my wife into getting plastic surgery to become a curvy redheaded woman. Then I am going to send her flowers every day by a flower delivery service that this guy works for so that he can see her every day or at least every week, get on her radar. And then I'm going to switch his medication from Xanax, which keeps him calm to steroids, which jacks him up and freak him out, put her in his path and then just wait for it to happen. And obviously it worked, which the whole thing with like Sherlock couldn't like, you know, there was no proof. They couldn't find his phone because they kept saying that. Um, so so do would habitually record their sessions because he wanted to listen back to them. Part, another obsessive personality disorder thing. Yeah. But they couldn't find the phone. They couldn't find the phone. It wasn't there. He assumed that, that Metlo took it or Mantlo took it. And so that was the thing. And, and, oh my God. So many twists and turns, so many ways for that to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. But so many ways. As I love the line, I think it's uh, Sherlock says you loaded him like a gun, yeah, and then you pulled the trigger um, because he was, you know, Sherlock's theory is that he was giving him steroids and just like priming him to to rage out, and he did. I had a moment too about that hypothetical confession. I feel like that happens in a lot of crime shows. Anytime the detective is one-on-one with the bad guy and they both know they did it but and the bad guy knows i can't come right out and say it but so i'm just going to talk around it in such a way that they can't use it against me and i wonder if that ever happens in real life probably not it seems like a movie that's totally a movie movie thing thing. yeah his his like whole thing is like well you got me i know you did it i know you did it but i can't prove it so i can't do anything about it and so his response is he takes Joan's car and slams it into the side of his Porsche, <laughs> which I mean, again, could have been worse. Her poor Saab though. And as someone who used to own a Saab, <laughs> let me tell you what, those repair bills will never stop. Cause once <laughs> one thing goes wrong in a Saab, it never stops going wrong in a Saab ever. Oh my God. Oh yeah, that I I felt like that car. Even that choice of Porsche was like a character thing for the doctor. It looked like a suppository. Yeah. It looked, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a silver tall, bullet, little silver suppository. <laughs> uh, oh god. So Holmes spends the night in jail, and 
Watson comes to visit him and he apologizes for the car crash thing and uh, the way, you know, the mean things he said to her about um, losing her patient. She tells him that she arranged with his father that he won't get kicked out of the brownstone because the incident didn't ha- involve drugs. Um, it just involved him, I believe is the phrase. Just, <laughs> it just, was just you. Just Sherlock stuff. Oh, yeah. there was a great moment where she goes like, all right, now tell me the plan because obviously there was something involving this. Re-, and she goes like, nope, that was just a temper tantrum. That was a, that, I see that now. This is not a plan. This is just you being a total shit. Got it. I love yeah. that moment. Yeah. That's so true. She's got them figured out at this point in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> She's trying to like get more insight into his background and why he ended up in rehab. And oh gosh, how does it, he sets it up for her perfectly? Well, he alluded earlier in the episode that he, he had gotten into drugs when he was in London because of something, but wouldn't say what it was. And then she's just like, uh, okay, tell me what happened in London. I need to know everything. And he, basically he was saying like, listen, it has nothing to do with this right now. This is completely in the moment. That's in the past. We're moving forward. Very general rationalizations. And her response is like, cool. Now I know it's because of a woman. Yes. Yes. That's the, I love that moment because she reads him like a book. <laughs> She's right too. You'll see. Yeah. And I um, can't remember if in this show it's, they still call her Irene Adler. I don't know if that's a thing because that's like, but you, if like you're familiar with the, with the lore then there's only one woman in Sherlock's life ever. And it is Irene Adler. And there's no, and there's no like romance there. There's no, it's purely just a game of wits with them. It is like they, they exist on the most non-sexual level, but it's all an intellectual intercourse with them. Mm. She flirts, he gets awkward and flirts and then they try to outwit each other and that's how they do. And that's, always how it is so i i can't remember if it's irene adler in the show but that's who they're talking about that's interesting i need to read up on the original canon stuff because there's just is the fact irene that he adler. has sex with a random woman in the beginning of this is so far afield from a traditional sherlock it's <laughs> just like well, i don't even know what to do with that yeah. of course we never see them have sex so maybe no yeah maybe he maybe just wanted he to be handcuffed and then yeah had an had opera song at him yeah. <laughs> could be into some weird stuff she wasn't a hooker. She was a singer. She sang into his penis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but the, as Watson refers back to that moment with the tattooed lady and says, you can connect with people. This is all an act. And then back at the brownstone, she's looking through the evidence. This is before Sherlock got out of jail. Looking at the pictures, um, she finds a picture that she, you know, it, like sparks her interest. And she has kind of an epiphany. So when Holmes gets out of jail, she shares what she found and they meet up at the precinct with Captain Gregson and they bring in Dr. Mantlow who thinks he's there for like an apology, an apology. And ass kissing and please, please don't, don't sue, sue us. us. <laughs> I love that. I love how smug he is. And I love it when they do that. I love that trope. It's like, we're going to bring you in for some slightly unrelated reason, but it turns out we're going to clap the trap on you. <laughs> That's my jam. I love it. And he is the perfect character. He's oh, perfect such a actor. smarmy piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. And so it turns out what Watson saw in the evidence was his medical file and Saldua was allergic to rice. But what was also in the crime scene photos 
was a big ass bag of rice in his kitchen. So Watson did her own little baby detective deduction here and found out that the cell phone, this missing cell phone that had all these damning recording sessions from his uh, therapy, it was in the bag of rice because he had accidentally washed his phone in the washing machine, got pissed off, knocked it over in a roid rage, and then went out and bought a bag of rice to dry out his destroyed cell phone. You know, you can use quinoa too when it's not going to trigger your allergies, people. <laughs> I know. I thought that was a little odd, but anyway. I guess it's a universal thing. People are like, put it in a bag of rice. But you can use any other sort of grain as a natural desiccant. Yeah. I, I've never had Pro to tip. do that, but I wondered because, like, they end up playing those recordings from that cell phone. And I wondered, is it really possible to fully recover? Because this is like a flip phone. And it got. I think those are probably washed. even better, more likely, because they're not nearly as complicated. Oh, true, true. They're just like physical buttons with like a circuit board and like a recording chip. You're not looking at like an iPhone 7 where, you, where, you know, your screen's dead. You can't do anything to it. So I think you're more likely to get something usable off of that thing than you were. Plus, if, I mean, at the very least, if it hadn't been worked, they could have just had a tech department like pull the chip out, read the chip play the recordings back blah 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 but yeah that could be they wanted to be a little bit more flashy with the hitting the button right at the perfect spot in all of these uh, (laughs) recorded sessions to be like i don't know dr mitlow yeah yeah we actually get to hear how uh salduo was begging to be helped he he wanted help for his rage problems and his obsessions and the person he turned to dr mantlow just said you know what it's okay. We'll increase your meds. <laughs> and uh, it was steroids the whole time. And so oh, yeah. then, of course, Dr. Mantlow knows he's fucked. And how satisfying was that? Look oh, that look. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm never going to smarm a free man again. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yep. So then we fun. end We end the episode uh, back at the Brownstone and Watson's trying to watch some baseball and Sherlock's so over it and um, ends up totally spoiling the game just by running some numbers and Which doing is complicated math. I, I don't know how baseball works. I don't know how math works. Um, that could have been a magic trick for as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but <laughs> sure enough, he was right. And uh, then they go get dinner and they end the episode... The song is called Watching, Watching the, Detective the Detectives by Elvis by Costello. Elvis Costello. Oh. Props to that. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, I want to go back real quick. I love the fact that this show took it upon themselves to give her, not only her as in like, you know, the female, but, but Watson, like this sort of like historical sidekick to Holmes like the the linchpin evidence moment that helps him put the bad guy away not not typically it's like oh well remember that time we had farthings down by the blah 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 and then he goes (laughs) farthings farther and then he has the moment where he realizes what the actual clue is whereas she's like listen i'll see you in the morning you're in jail you're an idiot and then she is the one who puts the bits together and it's like it's a it's a leap boom 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 connection and i love that they gave that to her as a character it's so it, both her watson and as like you know having a strong female being able to like hold toe to toe with this historically like massive male intellect oh my god wonderful. he's the prototypical white male genius 
Yeah. Very egotistic, very self-centered. Why isn't this working for me? Rather yeah. than looking at what the world can do to help him, he's like, how can the world help me? And it's, it's very telling that that's like how his character is. But at the same time, they don't let him get away with it as much. In that girl. And I like that. Yeah. And you'll see as the show goes on, this show is truly a two-hander. It's about both of them. And it's about their friendship and their yeah. partnership. And it's so gratifying to watch the, you know, the way they get to know each other, the way they support each other and antagonize each other and just like the way they enrich each other's lives. It's, um, they really, and I think they really did a good job setting it up here because you're starting to see it already. I I don't know what your, what your, what your verdict is, Janet, but what did you think of the episode? (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. So the big reveal. Well, I had no expectations going into it. So I had zero, like, I didn't know if I was going to like it or not. I only knew Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Lee were the stars. And that, and I, I didn't even know about the sober companion aspect. And, uh, but Allison had mentioned that to me. So that did pique my interest a little bit more than it normally would have been. I'm not typically, I mean, I'll watch NYPD Blue or A Law and Orders and stuff like that, but I'm not typically a procedural person and I don't watch CBS shows. I enjoyed it. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. So I say all that to set up that I was, I, you would not think that I would be interested in this show. I really enjoyed it. And I definitely am going to try to get um, Ryan uh, interested, my husband interested in it so that we can watch it together. Cause I would like for us to, have a new show to watch together. Sounds good. Yeah, and there's yeah, plenty nice. of episodes. There's like 170 yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If, if, and my caveat is, is, is because Allison, have you seen all of the shows? Are oh yes. You, okay. So, do you feel that it holds up all the way through, or are you like favorite seasons, or should I not even ask that question? Because, <laughs> because I don't want to ruin any. Oh. Future. No, I think it's really strong all the way through. I think the final season has some, it's not as satisfying, but it's because it was one of those half seasons that they kind of, you know, they were in limbo for a while and not sure if they would get canceled. And then, but it's still worth watching. By the time you get there, you'll be so invested. You'll watch it all anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will say it's probably more satisfying than the Lost ending. It's more but... satisfying than Game of Thrones. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wow. Um, well, I have to say because I'm, I like I said, I'm not. Um, you know, it's not my the show that I ever would have thought about watching. You know, even flipping back through old stuff. So I mean, I, I am sold on it, and I, I really did enjoy it. I appreciated how fast paced it was, and the acting's great. The you know, I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm so happy to hear you say that because I feel like the whole time I've been a fan of the show, I've maybe only ever met three people who have watched it and loved it. And it ran for like seven seasons, I think. So somebody was watching it, but I I guess it was just that older demographic that watches CBS. (laughs) Yeah. which is That's the reputation, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, you know, like the NCIS stuff and all that. Ah, anyway, I enjoyed it. So, awesome. Well, maybe you can come back and and be a guest again and and talk about future episodes. Yeah, and we didn't talk too much about my like the fact that I I am sober, 
But I, um, so I don't really know a lot about the sober companion aspects that they explore in this show. But um, I have to say, I'm, you know, I thought they did a good job of how they handled it. Because you always, like, I'm very critical of how, like, you're saying you're critical of certain things that you see done in shows. I'm always critical about how sobriety is portrayed and things like that. If it's not very realistic or it's, you know, kind of a punchline type of thing or something. But I thought they did a, a good job. I mean, it's only the pilot, so, but it, you know. Well, we uh, definitely have to have you back on in that case because it is a a recurring theme mm -hmm. you know every season like sherlock is working on his sobriety so um yeah. i think you'll have a lot to to say about that um but janet we are we end our episodes with our three faves uh, we okay. have three categories i don't think i told you about these earlier so don't feel bad if you don't have one okay um but george and i have put together our favorite outfit because fashion is such a part of this show uh a, a favorite vocabulary word because this is a very smart show and our favorite quote because this is a very well written show so um do you want to go first george uh sure um do you want me to do all three or do you want me to do my favorite whatever and then you go oh yeah let's go by category okay so my favorite uh outfit uh, by far is the weird chainmail sweater she was wearing in the very <laughs> beginning. It looked, it straight up looked like it was woven from kind of janky looking chainmail bits, but it, it, I, I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, we we picked the same thing because I, it, I think it's like a <laughs> an open crochet where you yeah, it's a very loose, it. but it's like the, the 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 yarn is almost like this sort of like almost shiny silvery look, and it does look like this like chainmail, and I'm thinking hell yeah warrior yeah. woman lucy lou yeah and she wears it with like this is a very this is another time capsule moment like a drapey short skirt that i, I remember those being everywhere at the time like just bloused <laughs> it, was a, it was a style i was really glad to see um kind of go out of favor because uh -huh. i can't wear that stuff but um it looks great on lucy lou of course the captains there you go Oh, hell yeah. I'm wearing my caftan right now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any fashion moments, Janet, that you noticed? Well, you know, I knew that you mentioned something about this, but I, so I didn't really pick anything in advance, but um, I did notice that sweater. I did notice her clothes. So I noticed, and I kind of wondered who the stylist is or if there's like a, if there's a credit to the fashion, you know, sometimes there's like a brand that is being yeah. worn. Do you know, or? You can find that stuff. There's been a lot of coverage online of, of Lucy Liu's outfits, mostly just show. her outfits, but um, that, we're going to, we're going to yeah, cover that later. It. The The wardrobe design is fantastic on the show and it's, it's not just really great to look at. It actually does inform the characters and like speak to where they are in the story. So well, let's make a note to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Next time we'll do the credits about like who actually worked on the episode. Yeah. Um, okay. And then let's see. Oh, your favorite word? I I truly think that we need to like sort of like normalize the use of handsome in describing <laughs> women. <laughs> because you sort yeah. of get you it, it seems like obviously it's like, oh, it's how you describe a man, well, whatever. But then you sort of sort of like a subset of, well, she's a very 
masculine woman so we'll we'll use such like i think b arthur was always described as a handsome woman mm-hmm. and and it's sort of like an archaic term for attractive and i think the roots are like clever or quick-witted or something hmm. like that that's where kind of where it comes down to useful i think is some of the origin points but i think utilizing and normalizing the word handsome on a daily basis to like talk about both genders so like a great idea yeah which is, that's the word that Sherlock That's what he describes describe. her mother with that. He's like, your mother's a handsome woman. And we'll meet her later. And she is a beautiful woman. See? So, Very handsome. Yeah, he was he was not trying to <laughs> throw shade at all in the, in, with that usage. Um, the word I picked was ovular. It pops up twice in this episode. And they use it to mean oval shaped. But when, mm-hmm. I, when I looked it up, actually, that's a misapplication uh, of the word. Ovular refers to egg shaped. Egg shaped. Yeah, like ovum or ovaries. Yeah, ovule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I looked up some words that actually would be an adjective for oval. Um, uh, Ovaline, ovalish. Maybe it's maybe it's ovaline. (laughs) (laughs) Or it sounds like a chocolate powder you mix up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Try your ovalish. Ovaltine, Um, and then ovaloid. An ovaliform, ovaliform. I don't know. I just thought that was fun. I th- I still think ovular sounds best. Yeah, o- ovular sounds. You get the point Conversation. Yeah. It may be one of those things where it's technically incorrect, but everybody knows what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. They landed on the right one. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And then, did you have a favorite quote, George? Do you have a favorite word, Janet? Oh I yeah, think, I didn't think about that. I not so much a word, but I loved the um, phrase "helper monkey." <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's like you're my helper monkey, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just like that. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be a helper monkey? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen Needful Things, not Needful Things. Uh, monkey shines. That's the movie. Well, I don't oh, know that yeah. movie. It's a, it's a, based on a Stephen King novel where a guy gets paralyzed from the neck down. It's a quadriplegic and gets enlisted like a monkey to help him around the house to like bring him things oh. and then the monkey goes bad and like tries to kill him and so he's in a like a, a, a like a, a locked house fight with the little cappuccino monkey okay this is my second worst nightmare after <laughs> you have the fears <laughs> yeah i have That's lots a... of them this is after the earthquake box helper second monkey is, is being my... pursued yeah. by an evil monkey okay yeah. yeah um now my favorite i think my favorite line is just the whole sequence where he goes, she's in the panic room. And everybody goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> like as a whole, the whole room does like a, huh? Just that, just that minute. And then of course it leads to the sequence where he like drops the marble, does this whole monologue about this and that, flicks the button and the marble just kind of rolls down the incline and stops in the blood. And I'm like, all right, that was a well-executed scene. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. I wonder how many takes that was. <laughs> get it to just go just reset marble back to one (laughs) get the blood guy back in here yeah (laughs) i wonder Um, if they had like a specialist come in with the marble or if that was just like a pa (laughs) oh here's my marble wow roll it down the hill they had to get an an old-timey kid off the street with like a newsboys cap you missed it you lost your marble here's my marble you can use mine <laughs> extra extra read all about it dead broad in the panic room no one knew about it <laughs> oh goodness okay okay so my quote which i tried to get verbatim uh i you know from the uh 
subtitles uh, is when they're getting ready to go to the crime scene and Sherlock says, consider every wretched hive of depravity and murder in this city my place of business. Unless, of course, you don't think you have the stomach for the work I do. And uh, it's so, it's just, it sounds really badass when he says it, but it's also super conceited and kind yeah. of a little dig at Watson. And she's kind of like, she gives him this look like, bitch, I was a surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> and of course she's fine. <laughs> but I love that line. And maybe I also wrote down the the scene we already talked about where they have that big argument and she tells him, you think you're so good at solving people, but you know what I noticed? You don't have any mirrors yeah. around here. And I think, you know, a lost cause when you see one. And I was like, damn, that hurts. Like that. She got, she that got was, cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything stand out to you, Janet? Um, I think for me, I like the, I, actually you mentioned the throwaway quote of um, for me was the one when he's at the opera and he's like, oh, he's not even on key. Like, <laughs> like a throwaway. It's not even a, you know, my, I wondered, you know, I, I honestly wondered if it was written or improv, like in the moment, because it was that great. It was just sort of like a, you know, and I think those are sometimes the best things that are just sort of thrown in there, you know, but yeah. Um, anyway, I, I like that one. Yeah. I like that. That was too. a great bit. Mm -hmm. all right well janet would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you online yeah besides um, your earthquake box besides, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> where i will be getting all my needs met if this if this box is a rocking don't come and knock <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> well i will say on twitter you can find me at uh at janet q price p-r-i-c-e and on instagram i'm at drunk a log show so uh like i said i'm sober and i do a, a show after we're back to normal um i do a show every month at the clubhouse uh, stand-up show and we feature some sober comedians and some that aren't but all doing kind of rock bottom uh stories and stand-up so um it's a really yeah. great show sounds yeah. great i i really hope we get to do that i mean i say I we I, I hope that you get to do it again sometime because mm -hmm. i want to attend yeah i know we're we're the our last show was uh march so we're um we'd love to get back to it and i mean there's uh, always zoom yeah well you know what we thought about it but we decided um to go on hiatus and let that's probably better else. yeah and we've been supporting all those other great shows um so but for now we're on hiatus but uh yeah we have to be back but you know but you can find me in either one of those two places um also i'll just uh uh, also mention uh, JanetKenyonis.com so you can always find me there. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put all those uh, links and stuff in the show notes and uh, we'll have all that linked on like our Facebook and Instagram pages and that sort of thing. So that everybody can just click, click and follow through. Yeah. Exactly. And, and where is our Instagram, George? Find us on Facebook at The Brownstone and it'll all be there. Okay. Perfect. All right. We don't have a sign off yet. No, we do have a sign off. We right? do. Yes, yeah. That's right. Um, what is it? <laughs> in, in no particular order and in no, do not even think you need to do it synchronized. But uh, at the end of the show, we say game is afoot. Oh, okay. Oh, a game is afoot. Yeah. Yeah.
game to play? A game is a play. <laughs> All right. For brief stretch in London, I talked only to a phrenology bus I kept in my study. I named him Angus. I hope there was no uh, ambient noise. Fee was completely quiet the whole time. <laughs> He's I'd, still sitting here. Just I probably got more ambient noise from my neighbors walking around in their <laughs> space boots. <laughs> Something, I don't know, their, their mag boots to keep them stuck to the floor because they are stomping a Oh, storm. gosh. I didn't hear any of that, but... Yeah, like, are y'all making grape? Are you making wine up there? What are you doing? <laughs>